Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob. Just Bob. Just Bob. <laughs> hey, this week, uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different because the recipe is super simple. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's all about technique. We're just baking some bread. There's four ingredients. It's the easiest thing ever. But it's also something that you could um, you could commit yourself to and spend a lifetime chasing the perfect loaf of bread. Uh, what makes this episode a little different, though, is that we're going to start off with a, a product review of the KitchenAid stand mixer grain mill attachment for milling grains into flour. Okay, so this is an attachment for your KitchenAid stand mixer. It goes onto your accessory hub in the front, and uh, it does what it says that it does. It is a grain mill. You can put in wheat berries or corn or barley or oats or other seeds or grains and mill them into flour that can then be used to make bread, to brew alcoholic beverages, to create breadings for tempura or whatever. Um, today we're basically milling some red hard winter wheat from Colorado and we're going to make a couple of loaves of bread to, to show the difference between your store-bought flour, your home milled bread, and then a blend of the two. So we're going to make three loaves of bread. All of them are going to be the same recipe in terms of how much flour, how much salt, how much water, how much yeast, etc. Baking temperature is going to be the same. We're using the same oven, same length of time, all that kind of stuff. So what we're going to see is in the results, what you can expect from milling your own grain at home to make a loaf of bread versus using store-bought flour. So definitely, definitely want to look at the show notes for this episode. Check out the Imager album. This is a good one. I mean, mo most of them are good. I, I spend a lot of time taking the pictures, writing the captions, putting them in order, doing all the editing, all that kind of stuff. But this one really tells a story because this is a step-by-step -step of not only the product review, but also... Uh, the making of each of these loaves of bread that are used as as the point of comparison for this whole episode, you know? So check that out. That's in the show notes, a link to the Imager album. Also, we will have a link to the actual grain mill itself, the mill attachment that we're using, in case you want to pick one up, whatever. Um, and we'll also have a link to Grains from the Plains, which is uh, where we got our wheat it's a small family farm in colorado that's producing uh seems like a pretty high quality uh grain product there um and i you know what i might actually put a, a link to a another grain mill i don't have it i have no experience with it but it represents a a, a single a single function um uh, 
application, you know, a single function appliance, essentially, in that it just mills grain. I mean, the grain mill attachment also only mills grain, but it's it's like this add-on to a pretty ubiquitous type of device that can do all kinds of things from making ice cream to grinding meats to, you know, rolling out pasta to milling, you know, wheat into flour. That, you know, spoiler alert, is part of the review of the product is it it is a good product it does exactly what it says and it will do it's reasonably priced reasonable quality seems like it will work for a period of time that uh you know it's not going to break tomorrow i don't expect it to last forever but it will do what it does um that said it it fills a sort of a basic niche of function in the kitchen and if you are really serious about milling your wheat and corn and whatever else into flour, uh, you might want to graduate at some point to a single purpose appliance that does just that at a, a higher rate of proficiency. Okay. I know that uh, Alton Brown, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably familiar with Alton Brown. His uh, one of his big, I guess, what would you call it a maxim is that in the kitchen, you don't have room for many unitaskers. Uh, he makes an exception for things like a fire extinguisher. You know, you just use a fire extinguisher to put fires out. Um, but everything, all these little pieces of equipment or tools that he uses, he likes them to be usable in different contexts. So you don't just have like this thing that's only used to, you know, scoop the flesh out of a uh, an avocado or something like that. Uh, there are always things that you can use for um, a my or myriad reasons. I find that when you commit to something, whether you get really into it as a hobby or a profession or as a as like a vocational pursuit, you should graduate up the price point. Um, you know, get something entry level to familiarize yourself with the process. But then as you get more proficient, purchase equipment that you can grow into and single task, like purpose built machines tend to do what they're designed to do much better than something that is just being uh, repurposed for a specific uh, application, you know? Now, that's not to say that you need to have a separate machine in your kitchen for every possible product that you would make. But when it comes to things like meat grinders and sausage stuffers and blenders and food processors <laughs> and grain mills or whatever, purchasing a tool, a machine, an appliance that will do that one thing exceptionally well can be worth it if that if doing that one thing is important to you. Okay. But uh, short of that, just having a relatively small box with a, you know, a machine in it that you can break out a couple of times a year and mill wheat or corn or whatever into flour for cornbread or a, or a baguette is, uh, is better than not having that machine <laughs> for sure. So let's talk about the KitchenAid grain mill. I believe that when I purchased this a few weeks ago, it was $158 on Amazon. I had that number in my mind 
and I'm really confident about that being what what this thing cost me. I, I can look at my order history, but I did look it up, um, the product itself, just generically on Amazon. And right now it's $134. So you can save $24 over what I paid for it a month ago and have this thing to your house in a couple of days. The KitchenAid stand mixer that I'm using that we have is a Professional Series 600 in I believe the color is pewter. So this is like the, the highest end KitchenAid stand mixer that you could get eight years ago. I mean, I don't know what their product line is like now. I mean, maybe they have like a professional, you know, 1800 Pro Max or something now. But, you know, as of eight years ago, this was the biggest and the baddest KitchenAid stand mixer that you could get. Um, but the accessory uh, box itself that the grain mill comes in shows it attached to a quote unquote lesser model. So, I mean, it's not like you need the high powered metal geared uh, heavy-duty, you know, prosumer-level stand mixer to operate this grain mill. The second thing um, that you notice when you actually unbox this the, this device and pull it out is that you know it's it's not that big. It's not huge. It, it's one of the larger stand mixer attachments, but even so, it's not. Um, unwieldy. It, it, it's a fairly efficient use of space. And I mean, honestly, it's a fairly simple machine. Basically, you have a hopper in which the grain is deposited. There is a screw drive or a worm drive that turns directly from the accessories hub on your mixer that propels or conveys the grain forward into the grinding area, the milling area, where there is a thin but existent millstone that uses a like a, a screw mechanism to adjust the tension and the the fineness of the of the grind and uh, the wheat or the corn or whatever grain is conveyed into that millstone it is milled and the uh, the resulting flour or debris drops from the throat of the device into a a bowl essentially that you have placed there to catch it. On the top of the hopper, there is a metal grate to prevent you from, you know, sticking your hand down in there and ripping a couple of fingers off. Uh, that grate is secured via two screws that can easily be removed in case, you know, you get a jam up in there. <laughs> um, the first time I ran uh, some grain through this, I milled, uh, I think it was like two cups of, of wheat, and then I put that resulting flour back through back into the hopper to run it through again thinking that I could get a finer grind to it um, the result was not remarkably different from the first pass so ever since then I've just passed the uh, grain through there once and didn't uh, didn't mess with regrinding it. The grain itself at, uh, can be drawn through the mill very easily. There's no need to agitate it or push it down with like the handle of a wooden spoon or anything like that. When I did the second pass with the flour, because it's a smaller particulate and those um, those small grains of flour can kind of lock together in different ways, I did have to agitate and and move the flour around 
to maintain contact with the worm drive to continue, you know, moving it through the machine. Uh, that was the only time I needed to remove the grate from the top of the hopper was to uh, do something that was outside of the uh, the 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 spec of the normal operation of the attachment. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, as far as taking this thing apart, um, similar to the the pasta roller attachment, uh, this is a machine that you do not wash. It comes with a brush that you can you can brush away, you know, flour debris or loose grains of of wheat that need to be dislodged from you know little nooks and crannies or whatever but this is not something that you you wash after using the any flour that is in the gears or in the in the inner workings of the mechanism if they are hydrated with water and not flushed free of wherever they're hung up in there um, they will uh dry and 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 set and cure into something not unlike cement which will not be good for the uh the function and longevity of your KitchenAid brand grain mill so don't do it <laughs> all right so we talked about the grill on the top um on the front of the machine you have a what would you call it a selector knob with uh, a small glyph that shows large grain versus small grain and what i mean by grain is like the um the texture of the resulting flour and if you turn the knob a hundred percent like in the clockwise direction you'll get to the finest grind whereas if you turn it a hundred percent counterclockwise you'll get to the the coarsest grind and then uh you know ostensibly you could move it one direction or another to dial in the fineness of the grind that you desire i have used this a half dozen times since i've had it you know only a couple of weeks and every single time i want the finest possible uh flower texture that this thing can produce so i have not moved it off of that uh, fine setting. Even if I was going to make cornbread, which is a fairly coarse, you know, flour, essentially, you know, ground corn. Um, even if I was going to make that, I would want it on the finest grind based on the texture of the flour that comes out of the, uh, the attachment on that level. All right. And if you, if you look through that imager album, you'll see, you know, the whole thing all, you know, not I don't want to say assembled because there's no assembly. It's just you 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 mount this onto the accessories hub, you screw down the you know the tightening screw, and bada boom, bada bing, there you are. But it'll show you the relative size of the device compared to the stand mixer itself. Um, I also have a slow motion video of it in operation like with the with the grains of flour falling from the throat of the mill into a bowl and then i have a a time lapse video of the grain you know disappearing down through the hopper and uh both of those are high quality and uh pretty satisfying to watch and then we have some close-ups of the flour itself it is fairly coarse it is not unlike that of play sand 
Um, you know, with wheat flour, you know, you have your the whole wheat germ, you have the the husk of the seed. Uh, you know, depending on the product, uh, they'll separate different parts of the of the wheat berry from what gets, you know, completely milled down into flour. You know, you have different protein or gluten concentrations and all that. Um, this is definitely a rustic flour. And uh, as you'll see uh, in the comparison shots of the different loaves of bread, it does produce a, a rustic farmhouse style uh, bread that is uh, super delicious and satisfying, despite the fact that you're not going to get like this big, open, airy, you know, webbed crumb inside of your bread that you'll get from like a, a high gluten bread flour or, you know, specialty flours or whatever. Um, but that's not to say that uh, this, the bread that you can produce from this flour is incredibly flavorful has a really robust texture a good bite and um you know is is very satisfying to put together all right so let's get into the simple bread recipe because you know there there are a lot of uh methodologies for making bread i didn't want to get into the the nuances of sourdough and 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 nurturing a a starter and feeding it and have you know like oh i've had this starter in my family since 18 dickety two or whatever um i also didn't want to get into things like you know your unleavened breads and your soda breads or your salt rising breads i mean there's a million different breads so what we're using is a bog standard red star yeast uh just following the directions on the jar uh, with the amount of yeast, a little bit of sugar, and some, you know, water at like 100 to 110 degrees, something like that. Get that stirred together until and let it rest for 10 minutes until it starts to froth and bubble and foam. And then that goes into the bowl with the flour that you have measured out. We're using, for each of these loaves, two cups of flour. Uh, roughly a third of a cup of the yeast starter or the yeast uh, slurry, uh, whatever you call that. Uh, one, one and a half teaspoons of salt and just shy of one cup of water. And, uh, you know, that's added a third of a cup at a time with the last third kind of being trickled in there as needed. Uh, in some cases, we use the full you know, final third of water. In other cases, I had some water left in the measuring cup. But those are all added, and uh, the mixing of those ingredients was done with a wooden spoon. The reason for that is because my uh, KitchenAid mixer, is, it's a six-quart bowl. Mixing a, a batch of dough that only uses two cups of flour is not practical in that size of a bowl. That's like you know, having this giant vessel with this tiny little bit of, of material on the bottom, the bread hook, the dough hook, isn't going to make contact with that amount of, 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 of ingredient. It's not going to fold it or mix it or stir it or do anything like that. They're very small batches, single loaves. 
So I just used a wooden spoon in my hands to mix those ingredients. Uh, and then we transfer them to mixing bowls, covered them with saran wrap and let them rise. First time, I think it was like an hour to an hour and a half. And then we gently punch those down, fold the dough over on itself a couple of times until the whole um, mass has inverted. Yeah, basically what was on the bottom before is now on the top. Recover those with saran wrap, let them rise another 45 minutes before forming them into loaves. And to do that, I, I, I turned that dough out onto a floured cutting board, uh, kneaded it a bit until it tightened up and uh, felt more like a dough and less like a batter, I guess, if that makes sense. And then rolled it, you know, by hand out into, um, I don't know, roughly 12 to 18 inch loaves, almost baguette shaped, essentially kind of a hybrid between a baguette and a batard. And uh, let's see, then those went into a 450 degree oven onto a, a baking stone. Um, they were scored with a lame, you know, to open up the top and they were baked for 30 minutes. The first 15 minutes, I had a small cast iron vessel of water in the oven, you know, with the, with the loaves. And then after 15 minutes, I removed that and, uh, allowed them to continue baking, uh, until the 30 minute mark. At that point, they were removed from the oven onto a wire rack and allowed to uh, rest and cool for an hour to an hour and a half. And then they were cut open. And you can see in the Imager album, way down at the bottom, the last photo showing the three loaves of bread. Uh, one after another, right next to each other, with a a cross section cut out of it, rested on top to show you the difference in the crumb, in the in the crust color, and like the development of the texture and stuff like that. The white, the one hundred percent white flour loaf had uh, an airier, spongier crumb, you know, more open inside very light uh, crust on the outside. The 50-50 white flour to milled flour loaf uh, definitely had a denser crumb to it. Surprisingly, that one was the darkest crust of the three loaves. Uh, I'm not sure if, you know, it, it, it's a combination of the, the whole wheat toasting um, and being like suspended intermixed with the white flour or what the, what the deal was with that. But the, uh, the 100% milled flour loaf was very light in, in, in the crust color, uh, a little darker on the crumb. It almost, uh, it's like just getting up there to where you're like, wait a minute, is this, uh, is this pumpernickel or whole wheat or what is this? You know, it's, it's a very dark, it's a very dark bread. Um, all three were delicious. Uh, the, the loaves that had the milled flour in them definitely had a, I don't want to say gritty cause I don't want to impart like this connotation of, um, inferiority like oh well this one's gritty and this one's not you know it had a really nice mouthfeel 
really good flavor, a robust, rustic, like really satisfying mouthfeel, flavor, aroma, everything about it. Um, all three of them were fantastic. Uh, my personal my personal favorite was the 50-50 mix. I believe my wife's favorite was the 100% milled flour. And then uh, my children enjoyed the 100% white flour loaves, which of course that was, uh, you know, more more akin to what they're they're used to. Um, but they each, you know, certainly had had their attributes that should be celebrated. So uh, yeah, that was that. Back to the the grain mill itself. If you get this, definitely read through the instruction manual. Um, there isn't, you know, most of the most of the operation of the device can be inferred, and you can just sort of like dawdle your way through it. Um, but the the important thing to know is that if you if you use it for a prolonged period of time, I th I believe just off the top of my head, if you mill more than ten cups of grain at a time. It does say to, you know, take a break after ten cups and let the everything cool down. You know, you have you have the 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 friction happening inside of this metal housing of the the millstones, grinding the wheat and you know passing that through the throat into the into the bowl. But you're also you're also running your stand mixer on setting ten, which is like the maximum speed. And for most applications, like if you're not making whipped cream or meringue or something like that, usually you you, you don't go much further than halfway, you know, like when you use the meat grinder attachment or when you're using the dough hook or, you know, even like with the pasta roller, stuff like that. Usually you're doing it at like a slow and consistent speed. This one, because it is, it's just a matter of applying friction and pressure to, you know, a, a movable object. You know, a wheat berry is not an immovable object, but it's applying pressure and, and, and friction to that wheat berry in order to keep everything moving through. You want to do it at the top speed. So not only are you running the, the grain mill itself at uh fairly, I don't want to say that it's a, a taxing conditions because it's certainly within the, the, the spec of operation, but you will generate some heat in there. And you also generate some heat in the motor of the stand mixer itself. So don't just, you know, blow through 30 pounds of wheat in one, in, in one shot, uh, you know, every 10 cups or so you need to let all the components cool down there. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll find a link to the runner up to that particular grain mill. This would be a, a standalone grain mill. It costs more money. Number one, um, I believe it was like a thousand to fifteen hundred watts of power. So it has a considerable amount of power and it seems like it's um, more vertically assembled as opposed to horizontally horizontally assembled. Like this grain mill attachment kind of comes off of the, the end of the stand mixer. So it's sort of a horizontal uh, mechanism. Whereas this, uh, this other grain mill that we had looked at um, is uh, more of a vertical gravity fed, or I guess both of them are gravity fed, but uh, more gravity fed uh, than the KitchenAid. 
So that's that. All right, so that's uh, simple. Baking bread, four ingredients, but the most important thing is where your wheat coming from and how you turn it in, into flour. Uh, if you you know get into milling your own flour, I'd love to see the results of your efforts because bread is not the only thing you can make in flour. You could make fried chicken, cupcakes, regular cakes, pastries, danishes, all kinds of things. Cookies. Oh my God. Whole wheat cookies with chocolate chips. I would love to see that. All right. So uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Check out the show notes for this episode. Definitely look at that imager album um, and follow the links. Buy yourself a grain mill, attach it to your stand mixer and make some bread. All right. Talk to you guys next week.